Good afternoon, and welcome to Real Time with IPELRA, the HR podcast dedicated to topics in local government. I'm Megan Solera. And I'm Christina White. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're going to be talking about this week's landmark decision by the Supreme Court, interestingly issued during Pride Month, protecting gay, lesbian, and transgender employees from workplace discrimination with the expansion of Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. But before we get into this topic, I want to mention two webinars that IPELRA is hosting. Next week on June 26th, we have a Back to Work, Now What webinar. Many of us sheltered in place and were working from home over the past few months and weeks, and now we've reassembled. We're going to hear from some excellent panelists, including Christina, Sarah Schellerstrom from the Village of Glenview, Angela Arrigo from the Village of Orland Park, and moderated by Stacey Petrianakos, HR Manager with the Village of Homer Glen. Folks, this is a freebie. If you have not registered, um, now's a great time to sign up. This is something where you can take advantage of one of the excellent trainings that IPELRA has to offer. In a few weeks, we have another webinar, and this one is on sexual harassment awareness and prevention. There is a fee to join this one. You can attend the training yourself, or you can purchase and download it to share it with your staff and elected officials. Many of you have come to us. Uh, this is a mandated requirement that we train our staff and our elected officials on harassment, prevention, and awareness. And IPELRA's own Jen McMahon will be hosting that webinar. With us today, we are so fortunate to have Abby Rogers. Abby Rogers is a senior labor and employment counselor at Engler, Callaway, Boston, and Straga to talk to us about this topic. Abby, hi. Hi, Megan. Hi, Christina. Well, welcome to Real Time with IPELRA. We are so excited. You are our first guest ever joining the show. I am honored to be the inaugural guest, and I am honored to join such good company today. Well, thanks. Well, why don't you give us a little overview of what happened this week? Well, I don't think I'm sharing any breaking news at this point by um, referring back to the U.S. Supreme decision in Bostock versus Clayton County. Uh, this is the, the name case um, out of three cases that went up to the Supreme Court uh, addressing um, the coverage of discrimination against individuals uh, based on their sexual orientation or their transgender identity. Uh, there were three cases that went up um, here out of the Seventh Circuit. Uh, that had addressed this very issue that was never uh, appealed up to the Supreme Court. And wow. I, again, again, don't think I'm, I'm disclosing any breaking news here to inform all of the listeners that the Supreme Court determined that uh, existing Title VII protections against sex discrimination in the workplace extend to individuals on the basis of their sexual orientation or transgender identity. So this is great. Now, now here's the irony of everything. Do you think they plan to release this opinion during Pride Month? 
That's a really good question, Megan. Um, I think the timing is purely coincidental. Um, And uh, I'm sure a reason for uh, additional celebration for the LGBTQ community. Um, But uh, the Supreme Court typically reserves their uh, most important or most highly anticipated cases for late in the term. So we lawyers are always looking for a lot of Supreme Court activity in June. Uh, Their their term ends uh, at the end of the month in June. So we're always looking for a lot of activity. And and this is typically the time of year when a lot of uh, important uh, groundbreaking decisions are released by the court. Okay. Now, I and this came to my attention because you were so quick to post it on LinkedIn. I'm a little bit of a LinkedIn junkie, and so uh, I saw that you'd posted this. And then the article that you referenced, it noted that fewer than half of the 50 states currently ban employment discrimination based on gender identity or sexual orientation. Is Illinois one of them? It is. Illinois has prohibited discrimination on the orientation for well over a decade now. And uh, when the General Assembly amended the Illinois Human Rights Act to include that prohibition, the General Assembly also uh, wrote a definition of sexual orientation into the Human Rights Act. um, And that definition includes gender identity. So the scope of the legal protections in Illinois have been very broad for quite some time. Um, But you are correct, Megan, to point out the lack of uniform coverage uh, on this issue under discrimination laws. And that is one reason why this case was so highly watched. Um, This now creates a uniform body of law across the country. And this also uh, gives a, a, a mechanism for federal enforcement Uh, for employees who believe they've been discriminated against on the basis of their sexual uh, orientation or their gender identity. So this really is cause for the gay and trans community to celebrate. This is this is groundbreaking. It is groundbreaking. It certainly is. Um, What's really interesting, I think, is the court's reasoning here. Um, You know, the court didn't necessarily find that there is a new reason or a new protected status recognized under the law. The court's reasoning really was more along the lines that this has always been protected under the law. That when we take a look at what sex discrimination is, and when we take a look at, uh, you know, what uh, it means to be homosexual or to be transgender, um, that is inherently wrapped up in your sex. Uh, And the court went through some interesting comparisons actually uh, on that point um, and said, it is unavoidable that you are treating somebody on the basis of their sex if you're discriminating against them on the basis of their sex. So, for example, the court said, um, if you would tolerate um, uh, the employment of a female who dates men, um, but you're not going to tolerate the employment of a man who dates men, you are innately discriminating against that individual and neatly treating them differently from 
another uh, employee on the basis of sex. Abby, that's so interesting. Now, would you say that that is how the law has been interpreted before this change? Well, you know, that's a really good question, Christina. And um, there certainly have been efforts along the way to argue that that this has always been the case. Um, Going back to the late 60s, uh, the Supreme Court did recognize that employees could experience discrimination um, based on their failure to conform to gender stereotypes. So that case I'm thinking of actually involved an employee who was denied partnership at Price Waterhouse um, because she was, um, I think one of the allegations in the complaint was uh, she just needed to go to charm school. She wasn't mm. very ladylike. Her behavior in the workplace wasn't very becoming. Men didn't feel comfortable working around her because she didn't behave the way uh, they thought a, a woman should behave in the workplace. Um, and in fact, her chances, I think she was told her chances of becoming partner would be much greater if she... Um, wore a dress, put on some makeup, put on some jewelry, etc. Um, and the Supreme Court, again, back in the 60s, recognized that that is a pattern of gender discrimination um, or discrimination against an employee based on sex. And so, uh, you know, that idea has been uh, brought to courts a number of times um, with varying degrees of success. Um, but I, I think everybody was always expecting that there needed to be a decision that said, um, it, it, you know, Title VII requires something more, that, that, you know, sexual orientation is something different than your sex. And that was an idea that certainly uh, came out in this Bostock case and that the court gave consideration to. And they said, yes your sexual orientation is something different from your sex, but that doesn't change the fact that the underlying pattern of behavior still fundamentally results in you being treated differently than somebody else for behavior that would be tolerated in that, you know, from an individual of a different sex. This this is this is great. I mean, this is something that we need to be talking about all the time as HR practitioners um, and in training our employees and our staff and our supervisors, our department heads and our managers um, in exactly what discrimination means, in exactly what fair treatment means, and to constantly have that dialogue among our staff, update our policies and educate them on on things like this, so that we are staying up to date and current, and we're making sure that everyone's rights end where the next person begins, and that we all have the same equal protections, and as employers that we're providing that equal protection for our employees. I can't believe this is still happening in 2020. I mean, you would think, like, we have would have evolved, and we wouldn't need to keep having this, but it, it seems like every time we turn a corner, there's a new element that we needs to be legislated, litigated, and polished and updated. 
Well, and, you know, I think you're absolutely right, Megan. I couldn't agree with you more that we need to constantly have these discussions with our employees and constantly refresh our training around uh, equal treatment of employees in the workplace, non-discrimination. Um, and I think one thing this case highlights from that perspective, you know, again, going back to the concept that this was always there. This is a fundamental baseline mm -hmm. when we talk about these issues. We are adding, you know, you can add layers on top of that. You can say, you know, yes, this was discrimination against somebody based on their sexual orientation. But again, fundamentally, that is also sex discrimination. So, you right. know, the Supreme Court said it doesn't matter, uh, you know, what else it could be. It is, it is fundamentally this. And helping employees understand uh, just how broadly the law does reach, um, you know, that fundamental premise that uh, the law is there to provide equal employment opportunities to all individuals, regardless of their protected status, and how protected status is manifested in different ways when we're talking about human behavior and those distinctions and differentiations that, that we're, we're making. Um, you know, I, I'm guessing a lot of employees out there probably are thinking along the same lines as obviously some very seasoned legal minds and some very uh, you know experienced attorneys out there um, that sexual orientation is something different from sex or mm -hmm. you know might need a refresher that Illinois is one of those right uh, protects discrimination uh, employees against discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation um, but helping employees, again, understand that, uh, no, the law recognizes that these patterns of differentiation and distinction can be harmful to employees in the workplace, and helping employees build awareness around when they might be engaging in those patterns or when they might be, um, you know, focusing in on a protected status uh, inappropriately in the workplace. I love that the Civil Rights Act, just like we update our, our policies and our handbooks, probably, I know I do it at least annually. Um, I love that the Civil Rights Act is still, you know, getting tweaked, that we're still doing updates and, and, and making aware of that. Before, before this week's ruling, when was the last significant update to the Civil Rights Act? Well, um, you know, I, I had to think long and hard uh, about what might have had such a, a far-reaching impact like this. Uh, most of the litigation that has made it to the Supreme Court around, uh, you know, discrimination issues in the workplace have really uh, been focused more on application of the legal standards and what it takes to establish legal liability in any given case. Uh, this is one of those few decisions that has a wide-reaching impact on employees' day-to-day -day realities in the workplace. Um, for, for all of your listeners, um, obviously, uh, the Supreme Court's Janus decision had, you know, reached down into the day-to-day -day realities of the workplace and impacted, um, you know, some employees' working conditions. Mm -hmm. um, there have been, a, you know, a couple of other cases. There was a, a pregnancy discrimination case uh, several years ago um, that examined uh, light-duty assignments. Uh, it was a private sector case, and... Um, I think it can be read a little bit, um, you know, it, it's reach 
wasn't quite as great for for uh, the public sector community. Um, and, you know, beyond that, um, I think I'd have to go back to the beginning of my career when the Supreme Court decided um, what the liability standard for harassment in the workplace was. Uh, and that really did start to impact a lot of employees' day-to-day -day working conditions. And it really changed how employers interacted with employees and how they managed the working environment on a day-to-day -day basis for employees. And that would have been 1997. Wow. That's that's about the time. I'm, as you're talking, I'm reminded of a movie I saw a long time ago, North Country. Did either of you ever see that movie with Charlize Theron working in the iron, the local iron mine in Minnesota? No. 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 Well, uh, plug that one as well. And it is about um, a woman um, who was subject to sexual harassment with uh, working among her male coworkers out in the, I think it was the Eveleth Mines, and she was constantly subjected to insults, sexually explicit language, physical abuse. And um, it was a it was a historic um, lawsuit that she won protection in that. So and that uh, I can't think of when that probably took place, but and it's fiction based on true stories. But it's just amazing to me um, that this has happened in our recent past. And it's amazing to me thinking about what the future looks like, especially as we think about what's happening right now in today's political environment. Um, what are your thoughts, Christina? What can we expect or what do we anticipate? And Abby, too, in terms of where we might see legislation going, what, we might, what changes we might need to adapt to and make in the workplace. Yeah, well, I think, Megan, the interesting thing is when you talk about changes in time and, and where we are today from where we were just a few decades ago, there was a time not so long ago that it was completely socially acceptable for companies to have policies that if a woman became pregnant um, and, and started a family that the expectation was she stepped away from the workforce and, and focused on being a stay-at-home mom. So I think the question I have for Abby um, talking about potential future updates is um, where do you see the sort of what, what is made up of social norms and, and how that impacts the decisions that are made and the changes that are made to the Civil Rights Act and other key legislation at the Supreme Court level? That is a really good question, Christina. And that was actually a theme that was uh, a kind of um, a, a source of tension, I guess, in the decision between the majority opinion and the dissenting opinions is that, um, you know, the dissenting opinions interpreted uh, this decision as the Supreme Court writing in uh, a, a, an expansion or writing in a legislative change into the law that is a, a job that is better left to the lawmakers to address and to respond to. And that typically is where we see most of, um, you know, most most of social change reflected. It's in legislation. Your elected officials are the ones who, who respond first and foremost to, you know, those those um, you know pressing issues of our time and figure out, you know, is it that could be affected through, uh, you know, through legislation, um, and then 
you know, the, the, the courts help us figure out the scope of, you know, whether those protections are reasonable or not, or, you know, what the meaning of those protections is in give any given instance. Um, and, you know, what it, what's, again, interesting to me about this decision is that the court said this is this was there all along you know this is this is sex discrimination this isn't anything mm -hmm. new this is something we have seen time and time again um, when we we look at other patterns of behavior where you know sex has been that one differentiating factor in what made you know what made this behavior intolerable versus you know, compared to somebody, you know, another employee of a, of a different sex. Um, so, you know, the, the, from a legal standpoint on paper, this wasn't that revolutionary, um, but the implications of it are huge. And, and I think anyone reading the decision uh, just, you know, from a, a broader picture would say, absolutely the context of the times influence this and made it happen and maybe you know what what where the influence comes in and, and what makes it possible now is that um, people are as social change happens employees are more willing to be vocal and to push for um, you know favorable applications of the law or favorable changes in the law and so maybe it's you know that we have more plaintiffs uh, pushing harder across the country um, you know, pushing these issues and advancing them uh, and, and getting the issue before the Supreme Court um, at a time when, uh, you know, maybe the country was, was ready to have this discussion. Mm -hmm. I, I think, especially considering, go ahead, especially considering what's going on right now um, around us and the discussions about inequality and the, the ongoing um, concerns about discrimination, you're a student of the law, Abby. So, um, you know, change sometimes takes a long time. But would you say that the the changes to the Civil Rights Act, um, even going back to 1997 with the, the last sort of major change, um, do you see that those changes occurring more frequently? Or do you think it's it's sort of the nature of the beast that um, these, these sorts of big impact changes take time because of the way that the, the legal structure is, is established? Uh, in the court system, these changes absolutely do take time. I think there are a lot of um, issues. There are a lot of other holes to be plugged as far as the scope and application of Title VII and um, the kind of, I guess, bringing the legal standard in line with uh, you know, employees' day-to-day -day experiences that I think we'll see, I, I think we'll start to see a, a, an ongoing effort and, and maybe even a more concerted effort by plaintiff's attorneys to try to push some of these issues and, and queue up those kinds of cases to uh, lock in employee protections under Title VII um, on a, a going-forward basis. I mean, this certainly could embolden the plaintiff's bar um, and, and so just, you know, for an example of, you know, where some of those, those differences or discrepancies might lie, um, when you talk about what it takes to establish discrimination in the eyes of the law, 
uh, you need an employee who is in a protected status, uh, you know, and, and again, uh, under Title VII, we're talking about race, sex, religion, national origin, uh, you have age, you have the ADA, um, I hope I got my list correct. <laughs> yeah. uh, in any event, um, so, uh, it, you know, um, you have to have an employee in a protected status. You have to have an adverse action, uh, which, you know, the most common adverse or the most extreme adverse action is termination or a refusal to hire somebody. Um, and then you have to show, you know, that somebody outside that protected class received more favorable treatment. And then an employer can uh, refute that case by showing that, that they had a legitimate non-discriminatory reason for that decision or, you know, the decision would have occurred uh, without regard to that employee's protected status. Uh, and that's a pretty high standard. And I think what a lot of employees experience on a day-to-day -day basis is a work environment that feels very... Um, you know, might feel hostile. It might feel like um, they're not being treated as fairly or as equally as their peers. Um, but maybe there's no adverse action. Maybe it's a series of um, not being given certain assignments or, you know, lower level actions that, you know, have a very meaningful impact on that employee's investment in the workplace, commitment, um, you know, morale, uh, and that can spread to other, you know, other employees as well. That can become a issue, as I, I'm, you know, I, all of you HR folks know better than I. Um, yeah. But you know, their experience doesn't necessarily rise to the level of, you know, this more stringent legal standard for liability. So you might start to see plaintiffs' attorneys pushing up against that and and um, starting to push some of the the greater awareness that we're. Um, seen just in society in general around systemic uh, discrimination or, you know, systemic patterns of behavior and their impact on employees, uh, you know, maybe pushing some of those theories forward. Um, you know, we'll see. I, again, I think this is where uh, employers can really step in and help themselves out by training employees yeah. and, and advancing the discussion around you know, how behavior surfaces inadvertently, absolutely in most instances, but how it surfaces um, and why it can be a problematic uh, to developing constructive working relationships. Abby, I think um, you sound like you work for us here, plugging our upcoming uh, sexual harassment <laughs> prevention and awareness, but education is the great equalizer, right? The more we know, the more we can become aware, and it is our duty and our responsibility to, to, to take that on, to educate our staff, to train our staff and ourselves to update our policies and to make sure we all are aware so that we can um, impart that impartial judgment and treat people fairly. The other thing that, that um, you made me think of when you we were talking was it, it can seem a little daunting to think, gosh, we need to have a change from the Supreme Court in order to... Um, have it trickle down and affect us at the local level. Well, we all know that phrase, all politics are local. And I'm just thinking about um, the mandate in Illinois just this year that training extend from just our staff to elected officials. And I think that's a small change and a, and a small win, a larger win that, you know, they, elected officials are not outside the scope of 
being responsible and aware to have this training and to, to refrain from any behavior that would, um, you know, could be considered discrimination or harassment. Well, I think that has always been um, something that those of us who go out and train employees and, um, you know, are, are working to minimize uh, personnel issues and minimize potential liability for employers have always uh, recognized and always, you know, tried to bring to the table uh, when those, those training uh, initiatives occur is that, uh, you know, ultimately what you're talking about uh, with all of this is workplace culture. Obviously, you know, it's a reflection of our greater societal culture, but, uh, you know, workplace culture and, uh, you know, what behaviors and norms we're going to tolerate. And that is very much a top-down uh, top standard that is set. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have... Uh, the leaders at the highest levels of an organization backing up a message or reflecting it in action um, and, and messaging, uh, it, you know, all the training right. I could give or all the training you could bring to your employees really just falls short. It, it's, it's no one wants to work in a do as I say, not as I do environment, right? We all have to um, be held to the same standard. You're absolutely right. Uh, I think we are just about out of time today, but I want to thank you, Abby, for joining us. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or would like more information on this topic, or I know you, you, you personally, I've attended some of your trainings and you provide that, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. You can find me through my firm's website. That is www.eclaw.com. Or through our firm's LinkedIn webpage, that's Angler, Callaway, Bastion, and Sraga, or through my individual LinkedIn profile, uh, Abigail Rogers. Well, thanks so much. And listeners, if you have anything you want to say, we're listening. Send us a recorded voice message we can play, or join us on a future podcast. Connect with us through our website at www.ipelra.org. And of course, we're on Twitter at IPELRA. Support IPELRA by becoming a member. We are dedicated to providing training and resources to HR and labor professionals and local government. We've also got some exciting shows and topics that we're gonna address, not only in addition to our upcoming webinars, but right here on this show. The secret to getting promoted. We'll tell you what employers are looking for. We'll address the topic of implicit bias. And we've got a lot more coming your way. I'm Megan Solera. And I'm Christina White. And this has been Real Time with iPelra. Thanks so much for joining us.